Hello and welcome to Smoke and Burn. I'm Casey Gresseth and today I'm joined by Business Development Manager for Wagon Master Washington, Nick Willie. How you doing, Nick? Hey, good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you and I met at convention. Right. Yep. And you know how like uh like you you've never heard of a thing like I don't know, name it, like a, a type of candy bar before in your life. And then all of a sudden, like you hear it from like four different people. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of how it was. Like you and I met for the first time up there. And then like, like three people immediately like mentioned your, your name and talked about you, you know, like directly after we met. So it was kind of funny. It was like one of those situations, but um, yeah, man, maybe you can start us off by kind of telling us a little bit about, uh, your career. How'd you end up with BG? Right. Now. Well, first of all, I want to say sorry that you had to hear about me three different times. You know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. No, anyways. Uh, so I started out as a technician in the military um, in 98. I went in the army and I was in the army for five and a half years as a diesel mechanic. So I came out um, in 03 and I started working at, you know, did mobile fleet work. I worked on concrete trucks. So I was a technician for 16 years. Did you deploy in the Army? Yeah, I did. I went to Iraq. Okay. So in 03. Gotcha. I was there for uh, six months. Yeah, that's a, there's probably no avoiding deploying if you're in the military in 2002, 2003 region, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, we were in, I was in a combat unit, so... We're not going to get away from deploying in a combat unit, right? I right. was in a tank battalion at the time. So, uh, yeah, we, we were supposed to go through Turkey and come down from the north. And then Turkey par Turkish Parliament voted that we couldn't do that. So our stuff had to get diverted all the way back south and then up into the Gulf. Um, and we went up about a month late, but we went up through Kuwait and oh, across okay. the border um, in April of 03 into Iraq. So. Uh, it was a, quite an experience. I imagine. Yeah. Was there still a lot of like, um, like large scale fighting going on when you were there? Um, it was, it wasn't large scale, like, like combat lines type of warfare, but there were, we were getting mortared all the time and there were a lot of rocket wow. attacks and, oh yeah, it was, it was a month after the whole thing started. So it was still really hot. Tense atmosphere. Yeah, for sure. Man. So. Um, got out. Like I said, I, I worked at different um, jobs after that. But the way I got into BG was in uh, 2014. I met Dale Smith down in San Diego and went on a ride along with him. One day I was working at a Ford heavy truck dealer and we did everything from F-150s up to class eight semi trucks. Right. And so I met uh, Dale, went on a ride along. And um, the next week it was my last week at where, you know, at my job. I was in between jobs anyways. And they said, you know, look, if you want to, you can pack up and you can go early. It's cool. I put in a two week notice, but that was uh, the following Monday was my last day at a dealership. Man. So, so Dale was basically your first, your first uh, experience with BG then, huh? For the most part uh, at the truck dealer that I was at, they had some transmission service stuff going on. They had a little bit of fuel going on, but I had only done it a couple of times. So for the most part, yeah, Dale Smith was my first um, introduction into BG. So Shout out Dale. Yeah, thank you. I've always, always thanked him. Uh, <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever done. So, Okay, so, so you started there, um, and then did you immediately go into like a territory management role? Yeah, so I, I worked in the uh, warehouse for about two days. And, and when I say worked, I went around, took a notepad, and I looked at all the product, and I wrote notes on all the products that I could find in the whole warehouse. And the third day happened to be May 1st of 2014. Dale gave me my route cards and gave me my keys, and he was like, here you go. He had talked me through, you know, the different steps while we were on the ride-along. So I got to see what he did, and I just said, uh, so for now, I just, you know, check shelves and check on people. And he said, yep, go for it. And literally got in the van May 1st, 2014 and never looked back. So, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it was really, it was really fun. I really enjoyed that part. It's funny. You and I talked a little bit about that because that's, that's almost universally the experience of anyone who started with VG. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, a couple days of like basic training and stuff. And then 
here's the keys. Uh, just just go talk to some people and see what you can dig up, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, you get sporadic training throughout, you know, from there on. But mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're thrown into the deep end pretty quickly in most distributorships, you know? Yeah. And for me, I had made a commitment, like, when I decided – yeah, that's what I want to do. I went home after that ride along. I talked with my wife and of course had to assure her that I wasn't going to put us out of house and home by trying this new career. So we had two small kids at the time and uh, she, her and I agreed on it. And I basically from day one, I was like, I'm swimming. You, you know, there's only two choices here. You could swim, sink or swim. I'm going to swim. And I just never, I never even had another thought about what I was going to do. I was just going to do it, you know, just had a resolve from the beginning. Yeah. uh, Yeah, absolutely. And the way I saw it, I didn't have any other choice. I had a a certain amount of time to get it in gear and go. And I had to make sure I did that. So that's just um, probably my personality. I don't know, but just had to get it done. So this is what we're doing and we're doing it all the way. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Now, did your territory, was it dealerships, independents, both? So I started out with a, it was combination territory, but I only had one dealer when I first started. Um, I had one, one small area on the coast and there was one dealership in there that we had. It was a Volkswagen dealer and they didn't do hardly anything. In fact, they were the worst, one of my worst accounts was, was that Volkswagen dealer when I started. And uh, when a couple guys left, I picked up a little bit more territory and uh, picked up um, North County Ford. And that would be the start of something great because I was able to put a menu into North County Ford, not knowing what I was doing. Lauren Peterson came down and helped me. And, and that was my first big menu account. So that was really good. Um, so smart menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Smart VMA menu. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I got a lot of exposure to that through North County Ford, but at first I was not, that, that wasn't part of my territory. So uh, it was 90% independence. I see. And uh, so the territory you took over, was it was it thriving at the time or were, were you picking up slack where somebody had left off? Or So all I know is from what I saw when I got there, right, and what I heard when I got there. And what I heard when I got there was, you know, you guys have gone through three or four BG reps in the last year. Uh, now, it, it seemed like we still had some really loyal customers and really loved BG, but they just hadn't had a solid rep in there that was consistent. They kept changing, right? Loved the product, but a little disenchanted with the service. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. And so um, I was able to go in and, and prove that I cared enough. First of all, I cared enough to try to help them. And second of all, that I had the work ethic and the wherewithal to, to help get it done. So... Um, the first, you know, three to four months of my tenure with BG was the majority of that was spent just trying to learn the mechanics of the job, the demos and and helping other people like that was literally my start. That's all I did. And what I found as I went along further and further is that's really still what we do. It's just about that. You know, it's about serving other people, helping them get their training, helping them with the machines that are broken and keeping basically keeping all the obstacles away so they can be successful as an account. Sure. So facilitating the program. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. So that's one of the things that, you know, when you and I talked beforehand, we, we discussed on the phone, the idea that uh, coming into a territory or into the BG world as a new rep, it's it's really easy to get. You had a term for it. You had a term that was great. Uh, my buddy or something. Oh. Well, how did you oh. describe that? MBS, was... my buddy syndrome. <laughs> yeah. So, MBS, MBS is a syndrome I feel that uh, a lot of people in all walks of life and in, in all careers um, suffer from, which is where they think their buddy, their manager, their friend, whoever they think in the organization they're going to drag along is going to help them get to where they want to be. And, um, for me, I just don't have that mentality. I don't, I just feel that I owe it to myself. No one owes me that time. I owe it to myself and I owe it to my family to do whatever it takes to be successful, 
right, with whatever I'm doing. So, um, but the way that I operated was every day I was going on dashboard. You know, every morning I'd go on dashboard. I would learn whatever's new. I had, you know, figure out what documents I need for that day, whether I'm going to a tower, tire shop and I'm going to show them MOA. In the morning, I'd go on dashboard. I'd print out MOA uh, flyers and I'd take them with me, you know. At the end of the days, I was looking on there at product spec and text, trying to learn everything I could about the product, um, doing demos at my house, you know, after hours. I did a bunch of titration tests on a bunch of different fuel products and things um, because, you know, when I started, I just thought like a lot of us do, I think it's if you know the product inside and out and you know the quality, then people are going to want that. Right. Right. And I think that's it's absolutely true that we need to be the absolute experts. We need to know every aspect of this business from start to finish and then know how to get our customers on board with the program and then teach them about the quality. Or sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes people do care about the quality enough for that to be the leader, but it's not always the case. So, but one of my biggest, uh, my biggest um, tools, the biggest tools that helped me was that, uh, that salesman manual that we talked about that Mikey B put out. And I think he put that out right around September 2015 or 2014. Sorry. For those of you that haven't seen it, it's a, it's a great tool for a new guy because Mike went through and he basically tried to just put together a, a, an A to Z manual on how to get started as a sales rep. So it talks, you know, it talks about route cards. I think it talks about revenue reports. Mm -hmm. It talks about just, you know, how often you should be in an account what you should do while you're stopped there, just the nuts and bolts of running a successful territory. Right. And it's a, it's a great starting point if you're new to the business. Yeah. And I feel every, everybody who comes on board with BG, like the guys that we've hired in my distributor since, um, since I was taken out of my territory and, and kind of I'm overseeing a few other territories now, every person we've hired, I've given them that and they have to read it cover to cover. It's just, it's not optional for, for the guys that I hire because it is the basis for their day-to-day life as a BG rep, you know, that's going to give them the foundation. So that's what I did is when it came out, I read it cover to cover, kept it in my van and just, and of course I did have uh, some help from Mikey B coming down uh, to San Diego. He rode with me a little bit. He did some trainings in San Diego and I just, you know, I grasped everything I could from him because I didn't know, like, I'm not the guy that's going to tell you I know how to do it. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. So I just grasped every bit of information I could. And I wrote down notes and I kept the book in my in my van and I just did it every day. I did the action of going in there, checking on parts, checking on techs, talking with advisors, you know, assessing anything that could be in the way. Right. uh, Obstacles, trying to figure out what those obstacles were. And then going to the manager and saying, this is what I see. Um, this is what's going on. Is it something you'd like to help me with you know, or, or that I can help you with? Can I help you get some of this other stuff moving that you're not moving per se? And uh, what I found, honestly, Casey, is the majority of people that I see that have our program and aren't using something, whether it's they don't sell MOA, but they sell fuel really well or they sell uh, power steering, but they won't sell crankcase cleaner. Most of the people I talk to, it's because they're not familiar with it enough to be confident. And then once we take that away, they start selling it. So, Absolutely. So you, you jumped in with both feet. You aggressively just tore into every bit of information you could get your hand on, just using every resource you could find. So yeah. give me an idea of like the trajectory of your territory from there forward. So as, when you say tra- trajectory, do you mean sales-wise well, or? Sales-wise and, and, you know, customer, I mean, I'm sure you're out cold calling and things yeah. like that. Like what, what happened from there going forward? So, yeah, and I also lost one of our big accounts about six or eight months into my tenure uh, that decided to go with another rep because he was the old BG rep. So we've all had that scenario, I'm oh, sure, right? yeah. That's and they were tough. friends and I'm like, okay. Um, but. Yeah, I started in May, uh, 
Smart VMA, they were looking at launching Smart VMA in that Ford account, like in June, July, August timeframe. That's all was being talked about. And I had no idea when they said Smart VMA, I heard that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what they're talking about, right? And so Lauren flew down and, and I worked with him a little bit. And we got that kind of off the ground around, I think, September of 2014, maybe August. And it actually became the biggest account in the distributor after 11 months. Wow. The biggest Inside account. of a year, it became the biggest yep. one in, in town. That's... Yeah, it went from doing about four grand. And the last <clears throat> last time I delivered there was $24,000 <laughs> to the one account. And I'll never forget that because of the blood, sweat, and tears I put in. to not. So I wasn't only trying to learn BG. Now they're going, this menu thing we got going on, right? And I'm trying to figure this out. And I conservatively spent about 80 hours building that first menu that I did because it was point and click. It was just, I don't know if you've ever built the Smart VMA menu, but nowadays you can do a menu in a few hours. Well, at that time, it, it would take you literally hours and hours and hours of clicking on checkboxes and unclicking other checkboxes. And you had to do that for every kind of car, every pack in that whole menu system. So it was quite tedious. Nightmare fuel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eric Elbert actually got on the phone with me and he helped coach me through some of that, you know. So a lot of people have helped me on the way because I, I dig for that information. You know, I just want to know what I can do. Um, so... But to answer your question um, more directly, the first month I was with BG, I sold $20,000. The last month I was at Coastal Distributing because it changed from Elbert to Coastal Distributing during that time, right? Right. They took over. So I left October of 2015. So in that 11 months, it went from 20 grand to about 58 is the last month I had. So I went from 20,000 and a year in... Four months later, I sold about 60000 Man, um, that's awesome. Well, thank you. But it, I also got, you know, there was a territory added to that, a little bit of a territory extension on it. Uh, but it was a lot of hard work. I mean, it was a lot of hard work. So, Absolutely. So at some point, you've migrated north. Right. Right. right? So when did you make the jump to go to, to Wagonmaster? So October 2015. Uh, my wife and I were just done with California. We we're just done with it. And uh, now looking back, I'm just so glad we we did leave because the political uh, the political stuff in California is just crazy to me. <laughs> it's I mean, I thought it was bizarre when I lived there. Now it's just really bizarre. But so we made the jump in October 2015 to go up to Washington and uh, Wagonmaster Washington had a, a dealer a dealer territory open up. Um, so I took over that territory um, in 2015. Okay. Now I know you 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 were a sales rep for them, yep. and now your your title has changed to where you're overseeing multiple territories. Like, how long were you a sales rep for those guys? So from October 15 up to September 27. 2017 is when I got this. So if you, you can't see, but he had to open his, uh, his BG elite jacket to read the data. <laughs> so September, 2018 is when I was officially pulled out of the territory. So in the 27, 2017, uh, BG fiscal year is when I hit a million. And then from that point they pulled me out and I'm overseeing four territories now. So, um, yeah, so that was what two, two and a half years, three years, something like that. And so I, I guess it was two years with Wagon Master, one year with down south at Coastal and Elbert. Um, so from that point, we hired a guy to fill one of the territories um, named George. And I started training him while I was still overseeing the other three. We kind of redid some lines and um, hired a guy named Jimmy. Now, I did go through a couple reps but between that time for my Seattle territory that um, just didn't work out. Um, now I got a, I got three on, on that team and I also oversee a guy up North and I'm still looking to fill Seattle proper area. So I'm kind of overseeing that right now. Okay. Yeah. That is a nice jacket by the way. Well, I appreciated BG, you know, sending them, you know, when we, when we did this, when I got this, um, got that done, it was like, 
October 1st is the fiscal year. That's when it starts, right? Well, I didn't know. I didn't even know they had these until I think it was January and we were having a sales meeting and I always wore a, a brown jacket. If you'd ever seen me before, I had a brown leather jacket on just like this. And my um, my owner, Tom Carroll, stands me up in a meeting and says, hey, stand up for a second. I'm like, OK, it's like, take your jacket off. OK, I didn't know what he wanted me to do, you know, and then he pulls this jacket out and I was just blown away. I couldn't believe that BG would do that for us, you know. Not because the BG is that not that kind of company. I just never knew they did that. And I don't that know was, if the if, was really yeah. Cool. I don't know if that's like common knowledge for everybody that I don't so think it is. The first year you hit a million dollars, BG sends you like a a leather jacket with BG emblem on it, and then it's got the year and sales info and stuff from your mm-hmm. from your first BG Elite year, you know, yeah. monogrammed on the inside. Yeah. Million Dollar Club, two thousand seventeen. <laughs> Nice. So the other thing that they did was really cool is they give you a medallion. Yeah. Have you seen the medallion? Yeah, you've seen I've them. got a few of those. Yeah. So it's got BG Elite on the front and then on the back of it, it has your name and then what number uh, in a BG Elite you were and then your sales amount for that year. And I thought that was really cool too. So. It is kind of fun. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal to get something like that, especially for the first time. I have one of those jackets in my basement, but I was a a much fatter man at the time. So <laughs> it would take a lot of sewing. I could probably make somebody else a jacket and there still have one for myself out of the original material. Could have been that big. <laughs> could have been that big. It's a leather tent. <laughs> <laughs> so touching back on uh, the uh, the my buddy syndrome. Yeah. Right. I, let's let's dive into that a little deeper because we had a pretty interesting conversation about it it's been a topic with, with a couple of different people on the, on the podcast here that we, you know, we all have a comfort zone, right? right. And we all have scenarios and environments where we feel good mm-hmm. and scenarios and environments where we don't, you know, some yeah. guys, they, they, they thrive in front of ownership and managers and things like that. And they just have a real tough time getting in front of a group of techs. Mm-hmm. You know, other guys, it's exactly the opposite. They're at home in the shop and they just hate being up on the drive. Yeah. So that's kind of where the my buddy syndrome comes in, right? Because it's really easy, especially when you work with top quality people that want to help you. Mm-hmm. It's 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 easy to lean on them right. rather than develop that skill set within yourself. So yeah. is that something that that you had to deal with when you started out at VG? Yeah, it's it's funny that you bring that up. I you know what I've learned now is that you can't you can't grow yourself if you're if you are comfortable. No one grows if they're comfortable, right? It's all about being uncomfortable and not being satisfied with status quo, like not being satisfied with, you know, oh, I got $30,000 a month. I'm not okay with that, right? I'm not comfortable. I want to be at a million dollars a year, right? Well, the same thing happens whenever we interact with people. Um, You know, doing this podcast is different for me. It's uncomfortable for me. But you, you I want try to, to make it you, that way. Well, yeah, and you do a good job of that. But, <laughs> but it's you know I'm not used to doing that, right? But when I started in in BG, folks don't realize I hadn't sold anything ever. Like I had had a garage sale, and I sucked at that. By the way, <laughs> if people would take the stuff, I would give them five bucks to take the stuff. The only thing I wanted was not to put it back in the garage. Right. This like, just needs to be gone like by the end of right? today. So. And like a lot of people, I have this negative connotation about salesmen. You know, salesmen are snakes. Salesmen are, that's, that was my mindset. I mean, so, you know, it was, it's really easy for some people to say, well, that guy's just good at sales. I had no sales experience. So being uncomfortable was a daily thing for me for the first, you know, year of doing this. It really was. So there wasn't just so for you there wasn't just a few scenarios that you had a hard time with the whole thing was new and unfamiliar. Everything was uncomfortable. Every even even like this sounds so dumb, but even getting paid to not work harder than that was uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Like you know, it seems that seems weird, but I grew up, you know, where you busted your butt. That's how you made money: is you bled, you sweat, and you cried about it, and and you know, just made it happen, but it sucked. Work sucked. And, you know, when I was growing up and what we were doing with BG didn't suck. In fact, it was fun, you know? So just the fact that I was doing that, I mean, I'll tell you for the first three months, I think I thought like, 
I hope I get paid this week because this has to be like, this really can't be a, a job. That's really what I thought, you know, and it's kind of like the guy at, at um, the mall that sells, sells cell phones, right? Cell phones. It's not really that hard of work, but people get paid to do it. And so my whole mindset has had to change, man, to be decent at this or to be good at what I'm doing. Cause it, from the very beginning, it was super uncomfortable. So, and I still get uncomfortable. I mean, there's days when I, I, I'll go and uh, train, do PowerPoint training for 15 people and I'm totally fine with it. But there's other days I'm totally uncomfortable and I don't know why. There's just a, there's times where you get in front of a room and you, there's just a vibe, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. But so I still have to overcome that uncomfortable feeling sometimes. It's not, it's not a, you know, sometimes it's just a choice. Sometimes you just make the choice to go, I have to get this done. I, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I realize it. And you just be uncomfortable or be comfortable being uncomfortable. I had a training deal this week um, where we had a group of independent shops, you know, that came in. And and I don't know that they've had a ton of training through BG. Mm-hmm. And the class was billed as an in-depth discussion of GDI. Yeah, And, uh, you know, even though I do a lot of the videos and stuff like that at BG, like I'm really not a technical guy Mm -hmm. and I have very little on car experience other than the stuff that we touch on a regular basis. And, uh, I I had a bout of that uncomfortable feelings where, especially as I started to transition towards the more BG related content, like you could feel the wind go out of the room. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could just feel guys going, so that's our technical overview, you know, and then you win them over and you get it going, yeah. you know, you get your yeah. momentum back. But it, it's, I mean, it's even on a, on a situational basis, like throughout a training course, you can hit mm-hmm. those spots where you're just, you're uneasy and you feel like you're losing the audience and you have to just charge forward. Yeah, I'll give you a good example. My very first uh, demonstration that I ever did for BG, I don't know if I told you this, but this customer, uh, independent customer down in San Diego wanted to see our differential machine. And as a technician, I always just, you know, drove the truck in. The truck was nice and hot, popped the plug because I worked on big trucks. You know, 90% of them were class uh, like F450 and up. So they all have a drain plug. Then. Yeah, I just pop the, the drain plug and it all comes pouring out because it's hot and all this. So they give me this like 1972 Bronco to do a diff service on that's been sitting in the yard for three months. Right. It's it's ice cold. If you can be ice cold in San Diego. And so we put it on the rack and I didn't really think about it. You know, so it's like, oh, whatever. It's just differential fluid. No one showed me how to use this machine. I just went down to the, to the warehouse and grabbed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Phil you know, drain. Oh, that's pretty easy. I'll go try this out. And my first demo was a total flop because it took like 40 minutes to get the dip fluid out through the tube. That's such an awkward 40 minutes. too. It was a long 40 minutes, you know? And then the question is, you know, how how much are we getting paid for this? Like a half hour? Right. right. (laughs) Everybody just throws up their hands and walks away. They're like, they were nice about it, but they were like, I think we'll just stick with what we're doing, Nick. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, but it was a long 45 minutes, especially when being a tech, as soon as it's, as soon as I flipped the switch and saw the little straw finally get dark and finally, I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> I totally just messed up. So I knew in 30 seconds in how bad it was going to be. You know, Uh-oh, this is going to be long. This is going to be an awkward one. So uh, but those type of things happen in this business and uh, just getting comfortable being uncomfortable was something I had to live with. I just had to get it, get it through my head that it's going to be weird sometimes, you know. So I guess the follow up to that is now, you know, you're overseeing other sales guys. Mm -hmm. I know for me, it's really hard not to just jump into the middle and be the buddy. You know, every time something hard comes up or something difficult or awkward, or if it's something really important that I want to go well, Mm -hmm. it's it's difficult for me not to just take over the show. Yeah. Uh, Do you, how do you avoid being the buddy with, with the guys that you, that you're trying to help grow? That's a good question. And, And sometimes, sometimes I think it happens naturally. Like you said, some, some deals are, 
are more sacrificial than others, if you will. Like some some deals, you're like, all right, if it if it doesn't work out, it's not going to kill us. Other ones, like if it were us, you know, negotiating uh, to get a giant nationwide account or something, it's like this can't fail, right? So I think there's different levels where sometimes you can you, you have the reps do it and you coach them on it, you coach them beforehand, and you coach them afterwards. And then other things, I don't think I think that it's okay that the, the high level manager handles that negotiation. I think that's all right. But, um, you know, being honest with the reps from the very beginning, I mean, from day one, being honest with the reps that it is going to be uncomfortable, that this is probably going to be one of the hardest things they've ever done and that you're not going to do it all for them, you know, kind of setting that expectation right up front, just like we do in a dealer, right? When we do a training, um, we, you know, Sandler calls it talking about the elephant in the room, you know, when you go into a demo and you can tell by the body language, three or four of the techs don't believe you before you've even opened your mouth, right? They're like, this guy's full of snake oil, right? So just calling that out as soon as I see it has helped me to gain control of that, of that demo where I don't get heckled, right? And so I think the same thing is important with reps. It's like, you know, the elephant in the room is you think this is an easy job and I'm telling you, it's probably going to be tough. It's, it's not going to be what you think. And just walking them through down that path before they ever really get started and just setting that expectation up front. Right. So for me, that's, um, that's important. You know, when you're, when you're coaching reps, I think the counterpart to all of this too is, uh, it's a, it's a, Self-awareness is such an important aspect of, of growth. Mm -hmm. And that goes a lot deeper than BG. You know, that's, that's touches every level of your life. But when we don't like to do something, we have a tendency to lie to ourselves about why we don't like to do it Mm -hmm. or how important it is. Eh, you know, yeah, big deal. I don't, I don't really do that, but that's not that important anyway. I do these other things. Right. You know, um, and and you strike me as somebody that that is evaluating yourself a lot. You know, well, I I do. Um, I don't want to impart anything to the next person or the person that's watching me. It may, maybe a rep, it may be a an advisor, it may be a, a tech. I don't want to impart something on them that that is going to be negative for their performance. Right, so. I'm all, I am always evaluating myself and I try to hold myself to a higher standard than, than anyone else or to the high, the standard that I would hold anyone to. Right. Um, because I want people to succeed. I really do. And so it's not just about selling BG for me. It's about bettering those people's lives in some way. I mean, if they're able to train their customers to purchase services, their customers are going to have a better day. Right. Car's not going to break down as much. That's going to help the advisor or the tech make more money. That's going to help them do more things with their family. I mean, I, I try to think about that whole big picture. And my our reps are the same, right? They're our, our first customer, if you will. So their families benefit from us doing the very best we can to hold them accountable for their actions and for what they're doing. And, you know, putting them in uncomfortable positions, I think as a leader, you've got to be willing to put them in uncomfortable positions because I can tell you from, from experience and just in leadership and in BG, if people don't do it themselves, they will not learn how to do it. I mean, you cannot, you can't teach somebody how to rebuild an engine on a YouTube video. They have to do it. So it's, you know, for me, it's the same in most things in life. I have taken a few engines apart as a result of a YouTube video, <laughs> but the putting them back together is tricky. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you know, what's funny about that too, because this is, this is, this is something that I've, I'm really trying to, to focus on for myself too, mm-hmm. with my guys, you know, over the past couple of years, I, I have been the buddy in situations where I really didn't need to be, but I just mm-hmm. did, you know, I wasn't aware of what I was doing to an extent, but, um, you know, in the past couple of months here, I've been trying to do a better job of handing off those responsibilities and being a resource and being there to help and bail them out if they get into trouble. But, um, 
you know, relying on them to do the difficult task. And I've found that, that people tend to surprise you mm-hmm. with how well they handle it, you know, yeah, and, they rise and up. a couple of my guys, you know, just recently here, I've just been, you know, kind of blown away by how great they did in that situation, you know, and it made me really, it made me reflect a lot more on that idea that like, you know, I, I need to be dev- helping these guys develop their own personal skill set. It's better for everybody. So that's a good point. I mean, on a football team, you know, if everybody could throw the ball, then everybody would be the quarterback. Well, you can't have 11 quarterbacks, right? The quarterback's got to throw the ball. He's got to let the receivers run and catch it. He's got to let the linemen do what they do. And if they don't do their job, then the team fails on that play. But that's not the end of the team, you know, usually, unless you're the Seahawks last weekend. That was the, <laughs> that was the abrupt end. But, um, <laughs> but the, you know, the point is the quarterback's got to let everybody else do their job and trust that they're going to get the job done. And uh, give you an example, uh, just probably six months ago, I sent George, my rep, George, and we laugh at this story now, but he went in and do a cold call to a Volkswagen dealer, and George is a really good rep, and and he and I have coached together. I've coached him for a long time, you know, two years now. And he went in and did the cold call, and he called me afterwards. And so everything, you know, or every time we do a cold call, we teach to try to get a reference, right? And so I said, okay, he, he said, it didn't, it didn't go the way we wanted it to, but, and, and that's okay. And I said, okay, you got a reference, right? And he said, it was, it was silent for a second. He said, no, I didn't. And I said, okay, no problem. So I need you to get out of your car, go back in there. And go ahead and ask for a reference. And if he asks you why you just came back and say, hey, I apologize. I didn't finish my process correctly. I need to ask you for a reference. And George is like, I knew you were going to say that. OK. And he, and he hung up the phone and he went and did it. And then after he did it, he calls me back. And I said, I said, so you may not have gotten a reference, but do you feel good now that you finished what you were supposed to do? And he's like, Absolutely. You know, so I think when we push ourselves and, and put ourselves in those uncomfortable positions after we're done, it makes us feel way more confident, whether it's good outcome or a bad outcome, your confidence just goes up, you know? Yeah. It's almost like the unknown is more intimidating than the prospect of failure in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I know what the worst thing that can happen is now and I can deal with it. Yeah. I can survive a no, you know, it's cool. So we just started into 2020. Uh, what's what's on your radar right now going into the new year? What are some things that you're really focusing on? So smart BMA is a big focus for us. Um, you know, I want to I want to take a lot of our accounts that aren't performing the way they should. I want to get them moving in the right direction. Uh, that's a big focus for me, and. Uh, the other one is the new AutoNation requirements, right? That's going to be a big focus for us as well. Uh, just making sure that all the menus are, are still correct and still the way they should be. And we collect tokens correctly and all of this stuff. Um, and you know about that program. So that's a big focus. I'm also starting to focus uh, more on the diesel EGR, the new EGR cleaning system. Uh, we put that in a Mercedes account and they're not lighting the world on fire yet, but they're doing some of them. So um, I've seen how effective that system is. And it's, it's really cool. I love that tool. Um, we had a Mercedes dealer with a 3.0, a lot of those 3.0 passenger diesels that were just getting caked up. The EGR systems just clog up horribly and they love that tool. So that's a good, that's a good thing. That is one that I need to do some looking into. Uh so from a smart VMA perspective, like, do you have a lot of accounts that are already on smart VMA and you're just trying to get them moving or are you looking at adding new ones? I would like to add some new ones, but we have, I think we have 18 in our whole distributor in Washington and we have some good usage in probably half of them, maybe, maybe five or six even. Um, there's probably seven or eight, nine that need to be 
you know, they need to be moving up and the presentation rate's just not where it needs to be. And so I'd like to focus on figuring out that obstacle, right? Find out the obstacle, remove the obstacle, and then get those guys on a path to success with it. So, so getting a VMA store moving, cause I mean, this is, this is a close to home topic for, for Kansas BG at the moment. I mean, we've got several stores that are, you know, they have the best tool available right. for upselling things and stuff like that. And the, the usage is just abysmal, you know, what's, yeah. do you have kind of a sketched out process for, you know, going into a store that's got the tool and is just not implementing it? Yeah. So absolutely. Um, the first thing I do, and it's with any program, even if it's not a, a smart VMA account, right? Any BG program they have in there, it's not working. They're not selling hardly any of it. Um, we're not talking about the guys that believe in selling 200 fuel kits a month, but they don't sell any power steering. I mean, I'm talking VMA usage is non-existent, right? The first thing I want to do is go in and discuss with the manager, the big elephant in the room, which is guys, you know, we're, you know, we're, we've got this menu in here. We put this menu system in here. You told me you wanted it before. And now you're not using it, you know, help me. Obviously your expectations now are different than what they were before. Fair. And normally the managers will say, Oh, we've just really, you know, you know, we just really fallen down with it. Um, it's, it's cumbersome. It's this, it's that. So you start to pick up on a lot of people call them excuses. Right. And for me, I don't really look at them as ex excuses because there's a true, there's a grain of truth in all of the stuff that these guys say, unless they're just total BS artists, right? Which if they're total BS artists, it's probably my fault for ever putting it in there because I should have known that in the first place. But if a guy's willing to say, hey, it's our fault or, hey, we want to do it, but here's the things that we're seeing. What I found most of the time is that the menus are wrong. The menus have some problem in them that they're not working correctly. So as soon as the advisors run into that problem two or three times, what do they do? They just stop using it, right? Now, if we're not checking up on it enough, that'll go on for a long, long time. Sure. Because they're never going to call me up and go, well, Nick, I tried this thing for three months and it didn't work. And, you know, so I didn't use it for three months, but now I really want you to fix it. They're not going to do that. Right. So for me, it's, it's our responsibility to know whether or not that menu is working and, and what the problems are. I mean, I found just let it go, you go like a week and you don't see any VMA usage in an account, right? You go in there, the printers don't work. And I'm like, guys, why didn't you tell me? You, they use the menu, right? But the printer stops working, so they stop using it and nobody calls me. And I go, guys, why didn't you, why didn't you just call me? Oh, well, we know how to, we, we sell it all anyways. And what's funny is the guys who have been using Smart BMA for long enough, they can sell, a lot of them can sell BG without it now because they basically memorized it, right? But I still want to see it being used. So sure. I'll go in, I'll call BMA, I'll spend an hour with them on the phone sometimes fixing the printer problem, get it all fixed up. Everybody's happy about it and they start using it. So the first thing is to figure out if the expectations of the management team are still what they said they were before, right? Get that up from contract. So, you know, Mr. Service Manager, if I go ahead and fix these things, you're still you're still behind the program, right? Or am I missing something? And they'll say, no, we want to do it, right? So you fix those obstacles. That's the first thing. The first thing in fixing a VMA account, in my opinion, is making sure there's nothing on our side that's preventing them from using it. I mean, nothing, no training, no functionality problems. Technicians are trained. They've got all the product, you know, those are kind of the four I start with. And then after that, it's okay. It's functioning. Now we need to help hold the, the managers accountable. And I do that by going in and I'll do a relaunch. I mean, we'll spend five days straight all day long in that service drive. And Lauren's seen me do it. I mean, Lauren's been there. Um, even way back when, and he kind of taught me this because when we did North County Ford menu, Lauren and I were there for three or four days straight. And then I realized real quick, 
okay, this is something you got to be invested in. Like you got to come back again and again and again, because you'll have that one advisor and it's usually a lot of times the top advisor they have, they'll be the stubborn one, right? Right. He doesn't want a new thing. I'm doing great the way I am. Yeah. I sell a ton of BG. You've just inconvenienced me with this new program. Exactly. And that's the person that, you know, if you get the other ones that are more open, you get them doing it, but you don't get that, that head honcho to do it. Then as soon as you leave, it's going to go out the window. So the, the trick is to get the under the, the younger guys doing it, get that leader, whoever that leader is, there's usually one on the service drive. The pace you, setter for the drive. You have to get the pace setter on board. I don't care if it takes two weeks or a month, you've got to get them on board. If you don't get those people on board and the managers let them kind of run the show, which a lot of them do. Sure. If that pace setter is not on board, it's not going to work. It'll work for a week. It might work for a month, but it won't work long term. So what's what's some measures that you use to try to get those guys on board? Like, uh, it, you know, do you do contests or is it just being there and in standing next to them? Or is it is it monitoring smart ops and just going in and constantly being there to remind them for for us and from my experience it's time it's spending time on the drive this is where you know it's it's not the my buddy syndrome thing because this is where we take full responsibility full ownership of this program right if we are able or if we're willing to put it in then i should be willing to stay there until it works that's my philosophy that's a good point. And so when we finally put it in, it's, you know, boots on the ground until they are doubling, tripling their BG sales and they're using it. You know, we say 75, 75% of the time is kind of our threshold that we want that much usage. But what we find is once we get them over that hurdle of believing in it and going, hey, this really does help us, we usually get it to 75, 80%, you know, or a little bit higher. So, but there is no mistaking the, the ratio between uh, usage, menu usage, and that's real usage, not just open it up and close it out and dump right. it, right? They're actually showing it. There is an absolute correlation between that and BG sales every time if you're building the menus correctly, right? So, and I'll just give you, a, a, and for everyone listening, an example, we just launched a Ford store. Uh, we started training, or, or sorry, we started implementing it in November, late November. I think it was the 22nd. We started building. It was a Friday, so it's the Friday before um, the week before Thanksgiving. So we had a Friday, we had five days, and then we had Thanksgiving week. Okay, so they decided that they want to turn it on. I literally flipped the switch on the Friday. By the following Thursday, we were training on the service drive. Those guys between November 1st and that day we started training had done 43 services all that whole month. In about five days, they tripled it. Okay, they went to 150, rough, well, it's about 135 actually, so almost triple in a matter of five, six days. Wow. So the following month, they did 335. And now we're talking, we put, you know, a menu in the end of November, the week before Thanksgiving, we start training. By the end of December, they'd gone from 43 to 100 or 335. But we were on the ground for at least 10 days of that every single day. It was either myself and my rep for that area or after the first five days, you know, I went back and the rep came out every day, every day. And so we've done that at a couple other stores, too, that were underperforming with the menu. Um, I've coached the the rep and said, hey, two hours a day, I want you on the service drive for 30 days. And literally for 30 days, he went out there for two hours a day. And they raised their ticket price, their, their ticket average from like 150 to 200 bucks. They raised it 50 bucks a ticket. Wow. So for me, I don't know the, every way. I, all I know is what's worked for us. And that's time in the store with that menu. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the answer that uh, probably a lot of people don't really want to hear too, you know? Probably not, right. Um, so time in the store. Okay, that's it's, it's one thing to say that. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, that's gone to a store to, to work on the drive at some point and felt lost, you know, Mm -hmm. like, what am I doing here? What's my function? How do I actually help or, or forward our goals here? Mm -hmm. Like what does being on the drive in those stores look like for you? What are you doing? So when it, it depends on what we're coaching on, right? But smart VMA wise, we'll just go with smart VMA since that's what we're, we're talking about now. The first thing I do every morning when I go in there is I touch base with the service manager. Because when I first launched this program and I talk about the expectations of we'd like to see 75% um, usage, right? So presentation rate, right? VMA presentation. We get them to go, yep, we want that. That's great. Um and in about 80% of the stores, I'll do a tingle report before all this happens and I'll show them the penetration rate, you know, based on where they're at and then based on what their goals are. So it shows the, the manager a dollar amount of this is where we should be getting, right? So every morning when I go back, I'm, I'm setting that up from contract with the service manager. Uh, and it would sound like a service manager. We were here yesterday. We did this, this, and this, and this. We worked with such and such peoples. Looks like we presented this many and we sold this many menus, right? I just want to make sure we're still on the same page. You still want 75% presentation, correct? Yes. Okay, awesome. I'm going to go, my plan today is to go work with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, right? And you kind of give the manager an overview before you start training. Now, if he's the... Some of them, they don't want, they don't show up till 9 a.m. So in that case, if I know that, I'll do that the night before, right? And then the next morning, I'm going to work side by side with um, one of, I say it's Leo, right? I'll tell Leo the night before, Leo, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be working with you on this VMA thing. Are there any questions you have before I get here tomorrow morning that I can answer now? And I kind of try to take, I just kind of try to take away excuses of training, right? So then it's not, well, I don't have time because he knows I'm coming in to train with him. So it's, and I'll let him know, I'm going to train with you side by side. And just like Mikey B taught us, um, you know, three or four years ago, taught us about the walkarounds, right? In the videos and in BG certified. I teach that to the advisors, just like Mikey B taught it to us. I can't always go into the lights, but I can get the customer involved in one way or the other. And I think it's important that the reps out there realize, you know, the scenario that Mikey B did in that video is he pulls, she pulls in, it's a covered drive and, and right. We don't always have that. Okay. And I get that. But what's important to do is get involved with the customer. You know, that was kind of the whole the whole important part of that advisor training is get on the drive with the customer. Now, if it's pouring rain, greet them, walk them inside or something. I get it. Okay. People are going to do that. We've got to do, we got to be realistic. No one's going to make grandma stand out in the pouring rain. Sure. Right. Sure. But it's about getting them involved. And, and same thing with, with service drive training is we've got to be involved with that advisor, you know, coaching them, shadowing them, I mean, I'll greet customers right in front of the advisors and say, hey, I'm Nick. I'm with BG. I'm just doing some training today. Bear with us. You know, it might be a little slower and just kind of interact with these folks, you know. And what I found, too, is with the advisors, when they see us doing it, it's much easier for them, it seems, to start to do the process. You know, it's, right. it's really weird how that works. You would think, well, they should do this every day. The problem is, and what I never thought about, is a lot of them don't do it right. So, yeah, they're uncomfortable when you start doing that. Sure. And it's uncomfortable for us, too. There's probably a lot of them that have never been trained on how to really do a walk. You know, they've been told, do a walk around, you know, but they haven't been told, like, exactly what the steps should be and things. I think there's an element, too, there of, like, you know, it's funny you related it to, you know, the advisor needs to engage the customer right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. The BG rep needs to engage that advisor Absolutely. because standing behind their behind the the row of desks and just watching over their shoulder and occasionally commenting on something is just it's it's not effective. And it's I think it's annoying to the advisor because they're just like, what are you doing back there? You well, you're know? like hovering. You're like hovering behind them. They don't know what you're doing. It's that's an awkward thing, right? 
I like to be out on the drive in front of everybody. Like, hey, here I am. I got my BG jacket on. Uh, what's really interesting is when you do get out on the drive and you start greeting customers and you start helping your advisor feel more comfortable, it's almost like you're, you're using strength in numbers, right? That advisor, like you said, has not been well-trained. So, and I'm, I'm the BG guy. I don't know any of their customers and it may be the first time I've ever been there because sometimes I'll train outside of my area. Right. So I get a little uncomfortable too with new customers, but I just put that aside and show those advisors that, Hey, it's okay to greet somebody you don't know. It's okay to ask them to turn their wheels to the right. And I think once you do that, the, the advisor goes, Hey, there's two of us here now. I feel a little more comfortable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe they're more apt to try it. And once they try it a few times, it's like a light goes off. It's like, bing, you know, this isn't that hard. <laughs> so. so I think especially if you're if you're taking an active role on the drive with the advisor, you know, most of them are going to kind of fall in and, and you know, participate in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, but occasionally, like you said, you've got that lead advisor that's been there forever that has the best numbers out of everybody because he has a developed client base and stuff. If you hit hostility, mm-hmm. or, you know, if you're met with hostility from that advisor, how do you counter that? Well, again, like what I do, it, and it just seems to work for me, is I just call out that elephant in the room. I just say, hey, Casey, I know you think everything I'm going to say is BS. That's the look I'm getting. It's okay. I'm all right with that. But can you just do me a favor? You know, can you just not, you know, kill me in the training? You know, can you not destroy me? Can you just, can we have some conversation is what I'm really trying to say, right? Can we have some conversation about it? And it may be all BS. I'm okay with that. I get it. In fact, when I was in your position, I probably would have thought the same thing, right? And uh, I got to tell you, when you, and you don't have to do it rudely. I don't, I'm not rude to anybody. I'm just kind of direct and just matter of fact, like it's okay for me. And when I approach folks that way, they just totally seem to, they just lighten up, you know? Why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's that you're confronting them with the reality of how they're making you feel? Do you think that's what it is? Or do you think that it's, you know, there's a certain level of respect that they have for somebody being direct and, and assertive with them? I think it could be either one, but I think that, Number one, I think that people come at you like that out of fear. They're afraid to change. It's not Absolutely. that they think you're a jerk. It's that they're scared. And I think once we start to uncover that, you know, elephant and we just talk like a normal person to them and and just let them know, like, it's cool, man. We're not here to force anybody's, you know, beliefs or anything. I think they just start to, they let their guard up. But I, I believe it's fear at first, you know. Anytime someone acts hostile not anytime. I'd say nine times out of 10, if someone's acting hostile to you in a dealership, it's because they're scared of something. They're scared of the fact that they may not know everything they think they know. They're scared of change, you know, as technicians too. I mean, we hated change. I mean, if you get a new snap-on guy, you don't buy snap-on anymore for six months, right? Because you got a new snap-on guy and that's not okay. You buy your snap-on guys from Richard and now Dave's in here. That's not cool. (laughs) So if folks out there don't know that about technicians, I'm here to tell you, they don't like change. And a lot of advisors don't like change. So I think it's just getting over that, helping them to get over that fear, you know, but. So occasionally you run into a store where, you know, they really want a VMA Mm -hmm. and we're, we're always so ready to hear that. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I've I've put VMA in some stores where I should have sit back and said, wait, wait a second. Now, why do you want this? What do you think this is going to do? You know, because there are stores that are not a good candidate. Yeah, I I agree. hundred percent. What do you what kind of signals are you looking from a for from a store that makes you start to evaluate? Like, is this an effective tool for this place? Well, commitment level from the manager is the big one for me. And belief system. I mean, it's, I guess it starts with belief. If if they don't believe in selling maintenance, like I believe in selling my grandmother, you know, BGMOA. I believe in that because I know what it does, right? 
but some people you you can show them all of this analytics you can prove it to them on the bearing wheel and they're still not going to believe in it so there's a difference between believing and just being okay with it right in my opinion and these dealers that don't believe in maintenance shouldn't have MO or shouldn't have smart BMA. It's to me, it's that cut and dry. Cause if they don't believe in it, that's like getting married to a person that doesn't believe in marriage. It's like, why would you get married to somebody who doesn't believe in marriage? Well, yeah, we do that with dealerships. We marry them to this program we call smart BMA, even though they don't believe in maintenance. To me, that's like, it just doesn't make sense. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like the first thing I look for, you know, is what is your belief system on maintenance? And then we can talk about BG versus this or this. But if they don't believe in that one fundamental principle, it's going to be really hard for me to want to put BMA in there, you know, because it's not a for me. BG is not a once in a while repair that when you feel like it, you know, you offer it to your customers because they, you know, are burning a bunch of oil. To me, it's a maintain, you know, to maintain that vehicle's um, functionality, right? So it's something I believe in doing all the time. My truck has 11,000 miles on it and I've done two BG oil changes already because I do that. Um, and then the second criteria for me to start thinking about is uh, their commitment level. Okay, so a lot of people believe in something, but they're not really committed to it. They just believe it's a good thing. Um, so those two things, in my opinion, are imperative. You know, if you've got those two in place, I think that most of the time you'll get the backing, at least that the manager will say, Hey, whatever Casey says, that's what you do. He's your trainer. The BG guy is going to take care of you guys. You need to do what they tell you to do. I think most folks that believe in maintenance and, um, and believe in BG will do that. So Gotcha. Well, that answers your question, but oh yeah, for sure. I've also found you know you you find these stores that don't have a single functional process in yeah. in the entire shop. You know every every advisor is pulling in a different direction. You've got techs that you know do whatever they want in the back. Yeah, and um, it's easy to show those guys some numbers and convince them that like. VMA is the thing that's going to fix all of this stuff. Right. You yeah. know, uh, I think that in the absence of other processes, VMA is probably not going to function very well in those stores. Yeah, that's a good point. In fact, I think VMA can create, a, it, not create problems, but it can expose a lot of problems in a dealership. VMA will, VMA is like the, uh, the cleanser. I mean, if your tech process are broken down and your parts process are broken down, VMA is going to expose that because when, I mean, at least in our distributor, we work so hard on that service drive and I'm, I'll be the first to tell advisors how you get the work, how they get the work done is not your problem right now. Your problem is to sell work. We need to let the manager figure out their problem. their their half of it. Right. But we've been asked to come here and help you guys sell with VMA so we're going to push. We're going to help you guys, but um, we're going to help you push the envelope um, and serve your customers better with this menu. But when you have broken processes in the back, it exposes them real quick. Right. I mean, real quick. If you have we got a customer waiting on this transmission service and we got nobody to do it because they don't want the quick loop guys to touch it. And the yeah. mainline techs aren't going to stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The last one we did, I mean, there was a lot of breakdown in processes. And so we started uh, getting these guys to show menus, teach them how to sell menus. And all of a sudden there's, you know, techs are out smoking. There's three techs gone. Somebody's driving a shuttle. Like, how do we get this work done? It's a freaking so, log jam. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but part of our job is that then, you know, we've exposed that. Now it's our job to go, hey, let's help out this manager by finding these techs. Let's get everybody together. Let's do this training right now. Because um, maybe, there, you know, a lot of times we find out we've trained a lot of technicians. Well, there's some dude that works on Saturday and he happens to be here on Thursday and he has no idea how to do this. And it just got sold. Right. So we'll go in the back and we'll train him how to do it on the spot and just really have a lot of boots on the ground for the first week or two, you know until it's or until it's going i mean that's um 
that's my philosophy is, and I tell my reps, like if we're going to do VMA, it's our fault if it doesn't work. It really is. Because if I didn't think it wouldn't or would work, I should not have put it in the store. That was on me. So now it's my job. And I have gotten um, to the point with a service manager where he just looked me right in the face and said, Nick, it's not you. It's me. There's nothing you can do about this. And I'm really sorry. And if you didn't get to that point yet, then you still have work to do, right? <laughs> but if you get to that point, I'd say, well, probably done everything you can. So yeah. if the manager hasn't apologized to you yet, you keep going. It was, <laughs> it was funny because I didn't expect it. I was just being very patient. And this is long after the launch. It just, they weren't using it. And the manager was not holding anyone accountable. And I just said, Nick, uh, his name was Nick too. It's kind of funny, but I just said, Nick, if there's anything that I'm not doing here that I, I'm not seeing, please let me know because this is what you told us. Again, I go back to the expectation, right? This is what you said you wanted, but yet we're trying to do this and it's not happening. And that's when he looked at me and said that. And I just said, well, thank you so much for letting me know. If there's anything we can do, we're here for you. Now, funny story though, fast forward six months, another person got put into the chair. Now that person is a person who's used to be uh, VMA before and knows how effective it is. And he immediately calls me, Hey, I'm in this chair. We need to get this thing rocking and rolling. And in a month we had sold over 300 services at that store that had sold 30 or 40 than a month before. So it goes to show you with the right manager in the, in the seat, they don't need to do anything. They just need to let us do our job. That's the way I feel about it. You know, so to condense all of this down, I mean, it really comes down to, because we're talking a lot about VMA, but this applies to anything that we do. It's anything, yeah. you have, if you expect something to be successful, you are not doing your part if you don't own the process start to finish. That's what I believe. And, you know, it goes back to the uh, BG RepCon two years ago. They had the Marine in there. Uh, I think his name's JP talking about extreme ownership, mm -hmm. you know, and extreme ownership happens all the way around the, the business, you know, not, it's not the service manager's job. It's not the advisor's job. It's our job. Right. And so when I say our, it's everybody's, but if, if those other pieces fall down, as long as they'll let us do our job, it's my responsibility. You know, that's the way I feel about it. If they'll let me do my job, then it's my responsibility to get it done. So that's just the way I see things. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a great perspective and something that, you know, I, me and probably a lot of other people need to be reminded of, you know, on a regular basis, you got to own the process. Well, Nick, I, man, I appreciate you being here. Appreciate yeah, you coming no on. We, uh, We've been talking about this for a while and we knew you were going to be in Wichita here. So yeah, thank you, you know, for having kind of worked out, but awesome. um, yeah, man, thanks a lot. And uh, you know, wish you luck this year. Thank you. Yeah. You too, man. Appreciate it.